This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Right, so good morning, church. When I say he is risen, you respond with he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Happy Resurrection Day. So we have been going through our series of First Peter glorious expectations, and that kind of bled over into the theme of our Easter services this year, our Good Friday, our morning service this morning, and the two regular morning services. So before we get into that, I um, just want to remind you of, or, or let you know about two things. The first thing is that we have Rayanne here, who is um, a photographer, and she's going to take your Easter picture, your Resurrection Day picture for you if you would like that. So there's some pretty plants up here or wherever you want to stand. She can take your pictures and then get your information and we'll email those to you. That would be great. And then secondly, one of the last things that Ronnie announced was the men's conference coming up. I want to encourage you guys to come to the men's conference. It's going to be good just so that there's no confusion. Um, it said to register online at Calvary Chapel Perump. Now, the reason that we're doing that is because this co uh, conference is a collective of all the Calvary chapels in Southern, Southern Nevada, and we each have uh, a different part that we play each year. We have different speakers. We rotate through the speakers. Uh, I was the speaker a couple years ago. Now we have all new speakers this, this year. And um, so it's not in Pahrump. It's here in Las Vegas. It's at Calvary Chapel, Green Valley. So go onto the website, sign up. Let them know if you want a shirt or not. And that's separate. That doesn't, it's not included in the shirt. If you want a shirt, there's a little box you can check for that. But I really want to encourage you men to, to come out. Come out with us to the, to the men's conference. It's going to be great. It is Saturday, May 11th. And with that, let's, uh, let's get into the word this morning and, and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for each and every individual who are here today. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to us, whether it be through your word or the prick of the heart, something that we need to hear that, that you have to say to us. Give us ears to hear, to understand, and to not just hear, but to respond to you and how you're working in our lives, how you're moving in our lives. Thank you, God, that that we can celebrate such a day as this, the pinnacle of our faith, the greatest thing that has ever happened to, to anybody, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and how that affects and, and changes our lives as well, that we get to partake in the resurrection. Thank you for that beautiful time of worship that we can honor you with those words. They're not just song lyrics, but that we can honor you with the, the fruit of our lips. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word we're going to have and that it would be a blessing to you, it would honor you, and that we, we would study it and, and respond to your word also as a form of worship and, and the tithes and offerings that are given today, God. We, we pray that those are done as acts of worship, recognizing that you are good. We love you, and we pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in John chapter 20 this morning. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and Isaiah in the back will get you a Bible. John chapter 20. I said this quote, it's not a quote, it's kind of more of a statement, um, probably a month or two ago when we were going through our glorious expectations series through 1 Peter. But expectations are premeditated resentments. Expectations are premeditated resentments. And what that means is if you expect something, uh, many times you're going to be let down. Have you guys ever had an expectation and it didn't turn out the way that you expected it ever happened to you? And were you super stoked that it didn't work out the way that? No, you weren't stoked. You were bummed. You were sad. You were not happy. 
in that relationship, in the marriage, in, in the workplace, whatever the case may be, you had an expectation, it wasn't met, you were let down, you were upset about it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's an unfulfilled expectation. And kind of to wrap it all up, we're ending today this great theme of expectations. Um, we're ending today looking at and, and closing the chapter on how we should have these not just good, not even just great, but glorious expectations in God. That's what His desire for us is. His desire, God's desire for you, is that you would have glorious expectations in Him. And I purposefully... Uh, took and changed the word hope. Instead of hoping in God, I changed it to expectations because when we say the word hope, it's kind of inferred that it may or may not happen. You know, you hope that we're going to go to in and out after church, but, but you, it's not positive till you get in the car and you start driving there. But when you say expectation instead of hope, there's, there's a surety connected to it. And, and there's many times in the Bible, Old and New Testament, where it calls us to hope in God. Hope thou in God, for you shall yet praise him. But, but I, I often, when I'm reading my Bible and I come across that word hope, I, I, I put expectation there because it's a little stronger for me, you know? I'm not just going to hope maybe God's going to come through. I know that God's going to come through. And not only is God going to come through, the Bible tells us that God comes through exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. Over the top, more than you could ask for. That's what God wants to do in your life. But so often we settle in our own human expectations and we limit the, the power and ability of God in our lives because we say, God, this will be good enough. God, that'll be fine. Do you ever have expectations about how a day will go as you wake up and get out of bed? You wake up in the morning, you think, it's going to be a good day. Or you wake up in the morning and you say, this is not going to be a good day. I don't want to get out of bed. Have you ever had the worst day in your life? The worst day, nothing could possibly go wrong more than it already has today. And then you go to sleep that night, the best feeling when you had a bad day. And then you wake up the next day. How do you feel the next day? Was that a bad dream? Like, do I really have to deal with that today? I want to just go back to sleep. This didn't happen. This isn't happening. This is, I believe, how all of the disciples felt the day after the crucifixion. These guys were devastated. And ladies, they were floored. It was way, way, way too much for them and obliterated, annihilated their expectations in who Jesus was. Jesus did not fulfill their expectations. And sometimes that can be true for us as well. We say, God, this is what my expectation for you is. This is how you need to work. This is how you need to move in my life. And that's not fair to God. You know why? Because what he intends to do with you is far, far, far greater than what your expectations in him are. And you have those presuppositions, those things that you like to think him to do, but his intentions are greater towards you, for you, than those things. So you have to release the control of your life and say, God, I trust that this situation is for your glory. God, I know that you're going to work good things and do good things through this. One day goes by. It wasn't a bad dream. The Messiah of Israel was crucified. The next day goes by. The feeling's still there. The third day we see a woman who wakes up early in the morning before the sun rises to the word in Luke we looked at this morning in the sunrise service more in depth. The word prepared. She prepared the ointment to take to the grave. Do you know why she prepared? Because when we expect something to happen, we prepare for it. And what did she expect to find when she went to the grave that morning? She expected to find a dead body. 
That's why she prepared to take something there. But her expectations were blown out of the water when she got there and the body wasn't present. I find this next portion of Scripture incredible. I didn't really ever read it in this sense before. I don't know if I just didn't connect the dots or, or whatnot, but in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62, verses 66, listen to me when I say this. If you're not paying attention, I get it. It's Easter. You don't want to be here. Listen to this, okay? Jesus' enemies were more prepared for his resurrection than his disciples were. We look at them and we're sad. We're like, you guys are bummed out. And Jesus was crucified and they're upset. We're going to go through it. But let's read these verses together first. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. On the next day, which following the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember... While he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. The enemies of Jesus were more prepared for his resurrection than his disciples were, which is pretty ironic, don't you think? They were paying attention. They were actually paying attention to what he said. And think about this, okay? They're sending a guard to seal the tomb so that, for two reasons, this is hilarious. Number one, if his disciples try to come and steal his body away because he was a deceiver, then they can prohibit that and prove that he's not. Number two, he raises from the dead and we've got him red-handed right there. Hey, buddy, you're coming with us. We're taking you back to the, you know, Pontius Pilate. We're going to crucify you again if we have to. Nobody's saying anything to Jesus when he raises from the dead. Nobody's going to have anything to say to the guy. Like, if I'm the guard, this is me. I'm like, we're cool, bro. You're, you're good to go. Um, do you want an escort? We can escort you wherever you want to go. Where are our expectations in the resurrection? Where are our expectations in what God is doing in our life right now? Are we just going through the motions? I said this in the previous service, and I want to say it again. I never, ever want our holiday services to become traditional churchy services. I dislike it. I oppose it 100%. I believe the God of the Bible is alive, living, and active. And he has a word for us today that we need to hear. And if there's no greater word than God wants you to have glorious, great expectations in him, I don't know a better word than that. Because the world's in a tough spot right now. People are doing stupid stuff. They're worried. They're concerned. Their lives are falling apart. And then we as Christians, we come and we have this peace and security. We say, we know who God is. We only expect good things. The whole world that you guys are surrounded with when you go out this week, the whole world, let me tell you what they're expecting. They're expecting bad things to happen. They're saying you need to be prepared for nuclear war. You need to be prepared for an EMP. You need to be prepared. You need, to, you need to make sure that your life is in order so that you can handle the things that come. And we as Christians, we say, we have confidence in God that whatever happens, he promises to take care of his children. So, hey, I get it. You, you want to be ready. But, but I also have to say to you wholeheartedly, 100%, I have full confidence and I have seen it in the past and I know in the future that God is faithful and he's going to take care of me and my family if anything were to go awry, period. And if we don't have that peace and understanding and expectation in God, then we need to get it today because this is the message that we take. This isn't just a religious service. This is a relationship with God, a living God, who wants us to take this message, the gospel of the resurrected Lord, 
out to a dying world. They need to hear this. They need to hear him. John chapter 20, let's read the first seven verses and then we'll get into the first of our three points this morning. If you're a note taker, so it's easier for you to track along, I have three points for you today. Uh, Number one, the three ways Jesus lovingly reveals himself to the disciples. Number one, his revelation to Mary. Number two, his revelation to the disciples. And then number three, his revelation to Thomas. Now, this is after Jesus rose from the dead and he's revealing himself to the people. And we're going to carefully take apart and dissect how Jesus does this because he intentionally engages these people. And it's important for us to consider and look at how and why he did it this way. Number one, here's Mary. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Think about this, church. Just consider for a moment the very first option. The first thought that comes to Mary's head is that somebody stole the body. It couldn't be the resurrection. It couldn't be that he actually said he was going to suffer, die, be buried, and raised from the dead. It had to be that somebody stole the body. So there's something that Jesus needs to work through with his disciples. The, 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 The enemies of God were a little more prepared, but but the disciples, they were struggling still. Listen, you don't get it. We don't understand. They were absolutely devastated. They were absolutely devastated that Jesus wasn't who they needed him to be, right? Jesus wasn't the, hey mom, go talk to Jesus. Convince him to make me and my brother sit at his right hand and his left at the throne when the kingdom comes in Israel. That was their mentality. And now that wasn't happening. He was crucified and and dead. Peter therefore went out, verse 3, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by, him, by itself. So here we have this, this um, revelation that the body is there, but the, the, the garments are, uh, the, the body is not there, but the garments are still there. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. What do you think? This is John, by the way, the the disciple that Jesus loved. It's referred to in this way as the apostle John, my favorite apostle. Don't tell Peter or the other guys when we get to heaven, but John is my favorite. He's very, nobody laughed at the first service either. I don't know. Thank you, whoever that was. I appreciate that. Guys, don't get the dry humor thing, I guess. Okay. John, we see from from the text here, um, that he believed. He saw the garments. So what did he believe? He believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. Everybody else, this word is important. Everybody else, it, it continues to say re- repetitively that they disbelieved or they did not believe or they had unbelief. But, but John, he believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now I want to kind of park on this for just a moment and consider um, that it says that for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What was Jesus telling them for the past three years that they were together? The scriptures that spoke about what was going to happen to him. And the last six months, he said it more than any other time. The last six months before the Passover, before he was to be crucified, he was saying, I need to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. And, And he even had an exchange with Peter, right? said, not so, Lord, you're not going to die. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man, man's kingdom, not God's kingdom. 
So he had conversations with them. He told them, and not only did he tell them, but there are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that speak specifically about Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. In fact, I have for you this morning 20 prophecies of the Old Testament. I have the references for you on a separate paper, but I'm just going to list them out for you, put them on the projector so you can see 20 20 prophecies of the hundreds that talk about Jesus being the Messiah and and how he fulfilled that Messiahship. Here's Here's just 20, okay? Number one, Christ is our Passover lamb. Number two, none of his bones will be broken. Number three, his blood will be spilled for atonement. Number four, Jesus will be lifted up and draw many to himself. Number five, he's the resurrection and eternal life. Number six, the Messiah would be forsaken. Number seven, the Messiah would be scorned. Number eight, his sufferings included thirst. Number nine, they would pierce his hands and his feet. Number 10, they would cast lots for his clothing. Number 11, he would cry, into your hands I commit my spirit. Number 12, everyone would abandon him. Number 13, they would plot to kill him. Number 14, he would be silent before his accusers. Number 15, his body would not see decay. Number 16, he would be abandoned by those closest Number 17, he would ascend into heaven. Number 18, his thirst would be quenched by vinegar and gall. Number 19, he would be mocked and abused. Number 20, he would conquer death. So not only did they have Jesus for three years testifying that these things were going to happen, this is what the Old Testament talks about was going to happen to the Messiah. There's hundreds. These are 20. A man named Peter Stoner was chairman of the Department of Mathematics Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College in the early 1950s. He was very passionate about Bible prophecy. Stoner looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus and came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled. I told you that there's hundreds and there are. I listed for you 20. This man, a mathematician, took eight. And he didn't just pick any eight. He picked eight that would be fulfilled the easiest or most simply for the critics. The results were incredible. The probability that one man would fulfill those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. For those of you who don't know how much that is, that's one in 100 quadrillion. In Science Speaks, an article in a magazine, he described it like this. Let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. face, heads or tails, whatever you want. They will cover all the state two feet deep, the entire state of Texas, two feet deep with, with silver dollars. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir, stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that that is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had, have had writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. Two feet deep, the entire state of Texas, blindfold a guy, go pick the right silver dollar. That's 10 to the 17th power that it would take for one man to fulfill eight of the simplest prophecies that were made about him. And we have, I listed to you 20, and, and there's hundreds and yet I have people that are, that, that are critical of the Bible. And we shouldn't use science. Why not? You know how many times throughout history the Bible has proved science? You know how many times through history somebody's been reading through the Bible and they've come across something? It says that there's pathways in the seas. We never know that. Maybe we should go see if there's pathways in the seas. And the currents take ships places exponentially faster than they would have just trying to plow through them. You guys have all seen the, the Finding Nemo, the surfing turtles. That's biblical. 
It's in the Bible. You, 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 you don't have to be a critic because the facts aren't there. Typically, people are critics because there's a heart of unbelief or there's a heart of hardness and an unwillingness to know. Jesus said he could appear to people. He could just straight up appear to people and they still wouldn't believe. In fact, he did it, didn't he? He healed people in front of others. Could you imagine? We've got to, check this out. We've got to figure out how to stop this Jesus guy from healing people and raising them from the dead. Could you even wrap your head around? You got to do what? Wait, wait. This guy's healing people and raising them from the dead. We have to stop him? No, it's nonsensical. Not only do we have facts in the Bible, do we have the manuscripts, we have prophecy, Bible prophecy. Uh, we have so much that the, the, the full counsel of God's word, not only do we have these things, but then we have something even greater that he reaches out and he touches each one of our lives individually. When I say I have a relationship with God, that's not, that's not a pseudonym or it's not me acting like something is, is true or happening that's not really happening. When I say that, I, I'm dead serious. Like that was the whole point and purpose for Jesus to go to the cross, die, be buried, and raised from the dead so that I could have a relationship with God the Father. That was the emphasis. That was the point. So when I say it, man, I, I want to be living it. I want to wake up each morning and seek him to know who he is, to know him better than I know him now or how I knew him yesterday. They were struggling. And they were struggling so severely, his disciples, because primarily they had different expectations in Jesus. Now let's look and see these three reasons or these three ways that Jesus lovingly reveals himself to the disciples. Number one, his revelation to Mary. But Mary, verse 11, stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was lain, had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary was delivered um, from demon possession. She loved Jesus. Jesus was a savior for Mary in more ways than one. Just like for me, Jesus saved me from a lot of things. Jesus saved me from myself when I was self-destructive. She truly was upset beside herself because her Lord had not ended up being who she thought he was. Oh, but how much greater was he? Let's look. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there <laughs> and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He's such a joker, that Jesus. He knew. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell, him where, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I have ascended. I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. First of all, look at how Jesus engages with Mary. What's the first thing you ask a woman who's crying? Why are you crying? There's some compassion that you see. You know, I will confess something for, to you this morning. I like to scare my children, like beside themselves, out of their minds, scare them. So every opportunity I have to scare them, I freak them out. And they get to the point now where they're getting older and they're like, Dad, you didn't scare me. I'm like, dude, yeah, I did. And he's like, no, you didn't really. I knew you were there. And I'm like, no, you didn't, right? 
So it's become challenging. People try to scare my kids or try to scare Grace and they don't flinch and they turn around and look at them and they're like, you don't know who I'm married to or you don't know my dad. He does it all the time. I just think it's, you know, it's preparing them for real life. We get shocking things that happen on a daily basis. I don't want them to be so freaked out and, you know, surprised all the time. Let me tell you, if I was Jesus and I resurrected from the dead, I would have so much fun with my disciples. I would have so much. I would be like, you know, boo, it's me, Jesus. Hey, I'm just kidding. You know, calm down. It's all right. But he doesn't use this angle when he could. Even with Mary, he engages her right at the level that she's at. Isn't that what Jesus always did? He's always meeting people right where they're at. And we think, we say it has to be this way. It has to be that way. But Jesus says, where are you at? What are you going through? What's happening in your life? And he has a conversation with them. And I really, truly love that about Jesus. What I don't like about people sharing the gospel or sharing what God's will is, what I don't like is people with signs that say, homos burn or Turner burn or you're going to hell. I know very few people, I know very few, maybe a couple, who were scared into heaven. For the most part, the Bible teaches us that God has loved us, wooed us into heaven. He has pursued us. And this is exactly the heart that you see of a Savior. Jesus comes, he approaches her gently. He meets her in her grieving. He has a conversation with her. And then what does he say to her? Oh, I love it. He could have said anything. What does he say to her? He calls her by name, Mary, Mary. And she, she yells, teacher, she recognizes him. And, and in another gospel, we see that, that they grab his feet. And here she's grabbing his feet. And, and it's almost like the next verses are kind of comical. They're kind of funny to me. I don't want to put something in that's not there. But listen to what he says. He says, do not cling to me. Imagine she's hanging onto his feet. Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. He's like, I still got to go up to heaven. You can't hold on to me. I can't take you with me right now. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. The heart of the Savior, gentle, compassionate. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be yelling at them because I'm the son of God and I'm, I can do whatever I want, right? I'm like, you guys are dummies, you're dumb. I told you I was going to die and raise from the dead. What's wrong with y'all? Come on. He doesn't do it. He just meets them right where they are. Number one, the revelation to Mary, Jesus meets her in her grief and anguish. That's where he meets her. And then he reveals himself to her. Number two, the disciples then the same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, in their midst, and said to them, "Peace be with you." Now here's the thing: this is Jesus's golden opportunity. Like I'm taking this to scare the living boogers out of these guys. I'd be like appearing in the room, and they're already scared. I'd be like, ha ha. I come like as a Roman centurion. You guys are all going to jail. And then poof, Jesus, just kidding, I'm back. I told you I was going to come back, didn't I? But you didn't believe me. So I scared you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't take this great opportunity he has to have a little fun with his disciples because he knows the state that they're in. They are crushed. Not just because Jesus wasn't who he, they wanted him or needed him to be. They were also even further crushed that the authorities were out for them now. And they were going to quash this rebellion of the Jesus followers. He said that for fear of the Jews, he said to them, peace be with you. The first thing that Jesus says to the terrified disciples is peace. Jesus brings peace in terror. Hey, guys, be at peace. Don't worry. Hey, it's me. Look, it's going to be okay. 
I've raised from the dead. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side when the disciples were glad. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Again, I'm just saying, for me, like, I'm yelling at him. I'm like, you guys are losers. Hey, it's me. You better take my word for it because I'm Jesus and I rose from the dead and I can do whatever I want. And they'd be like, okay, you're Jesus. You can do whatever you want. We believe that it's you. But Jesus in his compassion, as he can see that they're still pensive, Jesus in his ministering heart of God for the love of people, he says, hey guys, be at peace. It's me. Hey, if you're still struggling with that, here, look, put your hands through the holes. Put your finger through the hole in my hand. Look, it, here's my hole. He takes off his Jerusalem cruisers. Hey, look it, here, here's my foot. Here's where they nailed me to the cross. Hey, put your, put your hand in my side if you're still struggling. He meets them where they're at and he says, it's okay. You need to have peace now. I'm going to take care of you. And he has a dialogue in exchange with them. Instead of kicking them in the pants and saying, you bozo should have known better. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Hey, I want you guys to have peace. It's okay. It's me. Check it out. I'll prove it to you. Oh, by the way, have you seen that it's me? Now, now, now calm down. It's okay. Have peace. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiving them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus was sent by the Father. He came and did his mission. He fulfilled the Messiahship. He redeemed mankind. He bought back mankind with his own blood. And he says, hey guys, now it's time for you to take this message to go out. And I give you a special authority to preach the gospel to the world so that they can know who I am and have reconciliation to God as well. Now, there's going to come a time at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's given, but this is the first time in Scripture that we see, and we see in, in Pentecost as well, that the Spirit of God was given to dwell in mankind. What's the Spirit of God signify or, or not even signify? What, what does it represent? What is it actually? The Spirit of God is the presence of God. It's God, okay? And up until this point, everybody around the entire world were required to go to Jerusalem and they would all gather around, around outside the temple and God would be in the Holy of Holies, right? And there was a veil that separated them and they were only allowed to come so close, but that's where the presence of God was and, and that's where everybody had to go if they wanted to be close to God's presence in the sense of him manifesting himself. Obviously, he's uh, omnipresent, but, but in the sense of manifesting himself, he designated that place, okay? And now he says a, a new thing is happening, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, and through the blood cleansing you, now it was never possible before, but now it's possible for you to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, for you to house the presence of God, and God says to them, but he also says to you, Matthew chapter 28, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And instead of requiring people to go to a geographical location to be in his presence, God now has millions of te little temples that he's sending out all over the world to be his presence and the manifestation of himself, who he is. Did you ever think about it like that before? Yeah, you make decisions on a daily basis in relationships and people that you know all around you. But did you ever think about the fact that God has intended you to be a bearer of his spirit, a manifestation of his presence to somebody else? That's heavy. And he did not require you to do it in your own ability. Actually, it's the opposite. He doesn't say, hey, go out into the world and be my witness. He says, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because you're not going to be ready to be my witness until you've been given the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So now, as a clean vessel, Jesus, God sees you through the Jesus lens, so to speak. You've been purified, you've been cleansed, and now you have the ability to house 
the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And not only are you housing it, but you're representing and you're manifesting him to those who are around you. Pray that prayer in the morning. Where are you going? Who are you going to bump into? How are people going to perceive you? Oh, that guy. No, there's something different about them. I feel something. Have you ever had somebody say that before? I've, I've heard that many times. I feel differently about you. Well, I hope, because uh, I know it's not me. I'm a weirdo. The Spirit of God is manifested, manifesting himself to those who are around you on a daily basis. Now, we have to walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the flesh, we come across as carnal people, which is what everybody else in the world is. But when we stop and say, oh man, I don't want to be carnal. I don't want to walk in the flesh, my own will. I want to house the Holy Spirit. I want to manifest the presence of God. If that's too great for you to wrap your head around, I get it because it's still a lot for me. But God wants you to bless others by being a manifestation of his presence. Verse 24, now Thomas, we move on to the third. So revelation to Mary, number two, revelation to the disciples, and number three, revelation to Thomas. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the, Lord, uh, the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, Boo! Gotcha. He said, peace to you. Guys, you're still tripping. Don't worry. Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. To which you notice Jesus did not rebuke him my Lord and my God. Bear with me. I'm coming up on Thomas. I'm not too happy, right? I'm Jesus. I'm like, bro, like I appeared to all these other guys. They all say it. And like, what's your deal? Like it's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament that, I, that this is what was going to happen. Then I manifest myself to, to your buddies and you still don't believe what's wrong with you, you dummy. Come on. Open your eyes. No. Thomas says, he says, I need this to happen before I can believe. And Jesus says, go ahead and do it then. If that's what it's going to take for you, here, put your, put your fingers through the holes in my hands. Put your hand in my side where I was pierced. You know why? This is why. Because Jesus meets people where they are. And he could chew them out. And he could, you know, give him a tongue lashing. But instead, he says, here, Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Be believing. And he responds to him in this way. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, the first thing that we think about when we read that verse is that he's talking about us, but uh, not necessarily. He's talking about all the people in the past who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, looked forward to the fulfilling of those scriptures, looked forward to, to him being the propitiation for their sins, paying the penalty, they believed it before he even came. At least we have a leg up on them, right? We, we have the scriptures, we have the testimonies, the witnesses of the people, and we haven't seen Jesus, but we have more than they have. And by faith, they believed that God was going to make a way to reconcile mankind back to himself. Those are great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, looking forward to the fulfillment of the Messiah. 
I love to look at, you know what the word blessed in, in English better translates to or, or what the word in, in, in English better is? Happy. I like that. Whenever I come across the word blessed, I, I, I pop in happy. Happy are those who have not seen yet have believed. You know, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I haven't seen Jesus, but I've definitely um, seen him in, in, in the scriptures. I've definitely been touched by him. I've experienced him, if, if I can say that word, you know. And because of it, I have confidence toward God. I have confidence in life. I have a great expectation in God. And, and because of my great expectation in God, do you know what that, that equates to? Happy, happiness, blessedness. I'm happy. I have peace. Man, I am blessed upon blessed. I have grace upon grace. I cannot tell you how incredibly happy I am. And this is the heart of, of where God wants to, to get us to. Not superficial Oprah Winfrey happy. You guys all get a free book under your chairs or whatever that baloney is, you know. I'm talking about, I'm talking about happiness in, in that security and knowing who God is, what he has intended for you, those good things. Peace, understanding, great expectation. I'm happy. I'm encouraged. I look forward to tomorrow when everybody else is preparing for doom. You know why? Because I know that if, if something happens, that he's going to take care of me. I'm so secure. I'm so confident. People say, well, you've got you to be ready. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared for atomic warfare. You've got to be ready for an EMP, suckers, because when that happens, y'all are dead, and I'm ready for it. I have complete and utter confidence in God that whatever happens in this world, that he is going to take care of me and my family. 100% zero doubt. God, I know that you love us. And your word says, as your children, we can have confidence in you and not worry about tomorrow. And you know what that makes me? That makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God's intention for you through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and the raising from the dead, his intention for you is to have life and life abundantly. He loves you. These things were written so that you will believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today for this glorious day. We pray, Lord, that you would meet each one of us. And I'm, I'm so thankful that your, your word testifies that you do meet each one of us intentionally, personally, where we're at. I pray, Lord, that we would take more seriously that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit and that we have the ability to minister to others, not in our own strength or power or ability, but in that which your Spirit provides Bless your church, Father, this week. Thank you for speaking to us and the, the reading of your word this morning. Bless my brothers and sisters again, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you all an opportunity. I don't know, you know, I don't know where you're at right now. There's two types of people that are, that are, that are here to gather together with us. One, um, you, you didn't really know what I was talking about. I'm talking about relationship with God and reconciliation to God. You didn't really understand that. You never had it. You never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning that if you really want to know who God is, uh, I want to give you an, uh, an opportunity to, to do that. Really, there's one significant step that you have to take 
in order to have a relationship with God. You have to repent of your sins. You have to repent of your will, you running and living your life for yourself, and you have to submit to God. You have to affirm and recognize that Jesus did what he said he did and what the Bible says he did by dying on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins. He didn't pay for his own sins. He paid for you with the shedding of his blood so that you could be reconciled to God. With everybody's heads bowed, please, and and eyes closed, if that's you, you've never made that commitment before, but you want to today, I want to pray with you, and I'd like for you to raise your hand high up in the air so that I can do that, pray for you. Has anybody never made that kind of commitment or, or confession of sins and wants to do that today? Anybody at all? The other kind of person is a person that is a believer, maybe struggling with things in life, maybe like Thomas, maybe doubting God's goodness or sovereignty or Jesus being who he said he was, who he is. And you heard the word this morning and the Lord brought you full circle. Maybe you've wandered off the path, so to speak. Maybe you've been struggling, but, but you want to reaffirm your faith and your commitment to the Lord. If that's you, I want to pray for you that you get going in the right direction and that you are blessed So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand up high so that I can pray with you. You can pray together with me. Anybody at all? Father, once again, thank you for this blessed time we have together. Sow your seed, sow your word into our hearts that it would bring forth an abundance of fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold, God and that we would be about consciously, we would be about bringing your presence into a lost and dying world, that we would fulfill our commission as being the salt and light of the earth. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in in his name. Amen. Amen.